This retreat is on the 37 requisites of enlightenment. And we have six days to get through them. This is a very expansive topic and it's great to have available to yourselves and not just abstractly in a book, but that you can have a sense of it and explore each of the seven menus within that 37. I'm going to teach you a little memory device. It's a phone number. 875-5444. Remember that phone number. When you dial that up, it's the Buddha on the other end. <laughs> Nibbana talking. So yes, it's, your, it's also your passcode. 8755444. So what is that? Eightfold path. Seven factors of enlightenment. You've already got 15. <laughs> You're almost there. Uh, five. That is the five faculties. And then five powers. And then four, four, four. So four right efforts, four foundations of mindfulness, and the four idipadas. So most of it you're familiar with. Most, Some of them might be a little obscure to you. Perhaps the five faculties, these are five spiritual faculties, and the five powers. You may not have heard those talked about very much, but... The Eightfold Path, I hope that you have heard of. And the other factors do pack in, in some way, into the Eightfold Path. So it's an interlocking structure. Very good. Obviously, the Buddha was an excellent teacher and organized these things very well. And they are amenable to recall and memorization. Of course, the entire culture was a memory culture. There was nothing written down. And so it's meant to be internalized. Things, when you read the suttas, you, you see that everything is always in a specific order. Um, they always recite it in a specific They don't just five, and then it could be in a random order, so they, they recite things in a certain order. So it's good for memory and recall. And it's a good little um, challenge. Of course, by the end of the retreat, you will have heard all the factors and you will have a good sense of... Now, this is thought to be the encompassing teachings. So the Buddha, this is a sutta that the Buddha himself recited. And that is that, oh, monks, this is the essence of the whole teachings of the Dhamma, there are 37 requisites, also called wings to awakening. And so he's giving hints and suggestions how you can internalize this vast collection of suttas, make sense of it. 
So if you have these, this overarching view and this architecture of the Dhamma, then you really have access to all of the significant parts to it. You may notice, as I listed it off, did you notice anything significant missing? And that would be the four Brahma Viharas are not part of the 37 requisites of enlightenment. So loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity are not a specific menu in the seven menus. Some of the factors in, in the four Brahma Viharas do occur. Equanimity particularly occurs in the seven factors of enlightenment. It occurs in the Eightfold Path at right concentration. It's the fourth jhana, the nature of the fourth jhana. So we can internalize, we can bring over some of those things. So that's a, a memory device so that all of these teachings don't get scattered into the wind. You can actually internalize them if you can remember a phone number. Put it in your smartphone. Maybe there's a decline of the ability to remember phone numbers now. There's all kinds of ingenious ways to uh, dice and slice these factors and these menus. One very interesting one is usually when you, when you see this listed, there's another set which is called five frequent factors. So these 37 factors are not all distinct or different. There's a lot of overlap in them. And that's why it's possible we may actually be able to discuss them in six days. <laughs> The five faculties, which is one of the, the menus, is a nice way of actually looking at what are the, called the five common things. And the five common things begin with faith or reasoned conviction, sadda. And that comes up twice. Out of the 37, it's mentioned twice. And... That is the first factor of this, this little list of five. Five faculties, by the way, I should list them. Faith, or sadda, energy, virya. Mindfulness is the third, sati. Concentration, or samadhi, is the fourth. And wisdom, panya, is the fifth. So that's a nice little handful to memorize, literally a handful to memorize, and a lot of fives and stuff because you have you know like the ten commandments you have five remember the ten commandments are in two tablets five you know, two these are <laughs> so faith energy mindfulness concentration wisdom and it so happens that these are the most frequently mentioned of these 37 so the first one Sadda is mentioned twice. It's in two categories. The next one, energy, is mentioned nine times. It, oh, it occurs nine out of the 37. 
have to do with effort and energy, which are they they are basically aspects of one another, effort and energy. Mindfulness, the famous mindfulness, which gets star billing all the time, only gets eight mentions. It, it recurs eight times. Samadhi, concentration, four times. Wisdom, five. So that's another way to grab it in a handful, is that, that if you know the five faculties, then you can also know these recurring loops. So faith, twice. Energy, nine times. Mindfulness, eight times. Concentration, four times. Wisdom, five times. And tonight, because it is the beginning of a retreat, and this is kind of the way I advocate for all introductions to retreats, because energy and effort recur nine times, we're going to feature that tonight. Nine times. And that because, why am I using that as the initiating of the retreat is because quite often people come to a retreat and they want to get into serenity. Perhaps like concentration, which occurs four times class. <laughs> uh, very advanced, but not to be approached until you have enough energy. So usually the failing of attempting to get stillness of the mind, concentration, is that you don't have enough energy to do it. So what is the, now this is where we can play with these factors. What is the, these five faculties, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom. This energy, it has a danger to it, and that is that it gets excessive, so you become agitated. Concentration has a danger to it, and it, it gets slothful, too dull. And these are why these two need each other. Energy and concentration need each other. Energy feeds concentration so it doesn't lapse into dullness. Some people, you'll see a lot of people so-called meditating like this. Yeah. Uh, and they might even think, must have, must have had deep meditation. You know, this is easy to mistake, but the realization that that state of concentration, absorption, serenity is energized. It's a, it's a beautiful experience. And of course, one of the characteristic emotions that accompanies it is joy. So the beginning of a retreat primarily is that one should not try to get too fast to this uh, single-pointed focus or the focus which is what you do with binoculars rather than a laser. The type of concentration that we're talking about in meditation is not laser-like, but telescope-like or binocular-like. So it just, when you get the thing just right, everything becomes clear, very, very clear. Not, doesn't burn through metal. Uh, and quite often if you have that model in your mind, when they say concentration, uh, it's like something is 
you're wrinkling your forehead and focusing like that, which just tends to give you headaches instead of getting a good pair of glasses, like a, your old prescription is starting to go on you, getting headaches. And uh, I think you recently got a pair of glasses, right? And suddenly your headaches went away, didn't it? Yes. Clarity, that kind of clarity. So we have to have the right similes, we have the right examples in our mind to, to know what the, the Buddha is talking about. And not just what we thought concentration meant when we were 12 years old at school. Or somewhere in life you picked up the idea that, that it, it's a kind of a clenched prefrontal cortex, like tension or something like that. So anyway, that's why that I usually start these types of retreats with advocacy of energy, just working on staying light, uh, cultivating joy and ease, and of course, friendliness as well. So they're not feeling stressed. You know, you all were on a long journey here and uh, some people are very conscientious and they, they are even nervous that they might sleep in or something like that, which is, and some retreats you go to, there's stern advocacy, you know, there's get up early in the morning like the monks, you know, and <laughs> what'll happen to me if I don't? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> no. So this is why you want to abandon that kind of, any of these anxiety concerns at all. This is just not conducive to progress. And uh, you're all here because you want to be, and uh, you actually want to meditate, you want to improve the quality of your life, you want to reduce any suffering and unnecessary distress. And this is exactly the point of the exercise. This is the essence of the Dhamma is to turn the unskillful structures, which most people blunder along with, into more refined mental processes and attitudes that alleviate that and that you feel throughout your entire mind, your emotional structure, and your body as well. So... This is how you initiate a, a longer retreat, and probably for the first three days, that not trying to get too still in, in the practice, but trying to get oh, stay awake, stay energized, that the type, the first emotional structure that is closest to that is joy. Uh, there are other emotions that come with deeper concentration, but the the first approachable one is joy and energy. Joy and energy. They work very well together. In fact, they're factors of the first jhana. And they appear, you know, long before you get this samadhi, this jhana, uh, you can get these factors, of course. You've all been joyful. You all had joy. And uh, you've all had been energized and uh, felt what it is to be awake and joyful and energized. And it's just that, with more command of those things, is what meditation is. It's, it's learning to produce these, these uh, very skillful emotions and how to bring them into existence and sustain them out of you rather than waiting for the world to arrange itself so that it produces it 
or that you get a joyful reaction to an event in the world or a situation in the world. You can't afford to wait. You can't afford to wait for the world to present itself, present some sort of joyful opportunity for you. You have to learn how to, that you, of course, have always been the one who has produced it. It never was the world doing any of this stuff to you. You've always done that back to the world. You're, you're always reacting to the world. So you can do this, but you, most people just need certain cues and certain events and they, they attribute the joy to the event, but it's never that, it's, it's always something that you do. But it doesn't occur to most people to find out how I did that and then see if I can do it without the situation or the event there. Can I do it in an empty room? And so this is why we have these empty rooms here, is to take away the external complexity and stimulation. We're, we're minimalizing the externals and seeing if we can generate these things. So this is the advocacy of the Buddha, is generate these things, create them. You can, but it's a new way of thinking about things. So we begin with these, with energy, which is, is featured nine times out of the 37. And there is a teaching, so the, one, one of the, of course, is the right effort in the, the Eightfold Path. The sixth factor of the Eightfold Path is right effort. And then overlapping that, almost identical to that, is that one of the fours is for four right efforts as well. And they happen to be identical. If you look at the Eightfold Path, you'll just see these little titles, right effort, sama vayamu, and then right mindfulness. But then if you look deeper, uh, flip the page, you'll see there's a drop-down menu and there's four right efforts in there. And that, so the Buddha actually takes that, that four right efforts out and he puts it in a separate sutta. He does this with mindfulness as well four foundations of mindfulness. It's in the Eightfold Path already. And if you look at some of the, the suttas that have the Eightfold Path in it, they show the, the four foundations of mindfulness. But then he has whole suttas just on the four foundations of mindfulness. So he takes these out and just expands them and de- gives details with them. So... I, uh, probably for the last 15 years, maybe more, I'll have to listen to some of my old recordings to to know when this started, my obsession with right effort. (laughs) I just found that it's one of the, it's just not very often specifically taught. There's there's a lot of emphasis on uh, perhaps morality, talks on morality, virtue, and so forth. There are talks on mindfulness, a whole retreats on mindfulness, retreats on loving kindness, and the Brahma Viharas, sometimes uh, retreats on samadhi, but not very few uh, retreats on right effort. So there's a lot of skipping over that, but it's obviously huge. Nine mentions, nine, nine times out of the 37, the most of all of the 37. You might say that the Buddhism is a philosophical religion of effort, and it's, it's 
extremely important that you see that as a central feature of it. It gives you independence. They're, they're coming out of, a, of whole civilizations that are surrounded by no mention of any sort of personal effort. It's not really about personal effort. There's deities and spells and rituals and things like that. Is, it, it seems to be what, how people thought life worked. And the Buddha is making a startling separation from that. He's saying, never mind that. In fact, this is one of the th- factors that of the first stage of enlightenment, the sila pada paramasa, the, the setting aside of belief that rites and rituals will liberate you. So the entire culture right across all of Asia is just steeped and engulfed in rites and rituals as the, the means to get benefits in this life and whatever came after, it's about the, the rites and the rituals. Magic power. And the Buddha is saying, that's what drops away that whole belief structure that's superstition. That's what goes in the first stage of enlightenment. You don't, you don't, you, it doesn't work that way. You find it doesn't work that way. It works by understanding about how your mind works and how your emotional structure works. And, it, and the primary means to develop this is right effort. Not just any effort, but right effort. So this is why it's such a, a featured element and knowing that there is, there is real effort involved in this and it is about changing your mind. So these are the four aspects of changing your mind. That is, first is to know what needs to go and what needs to stay and what needs to be brought into existence if not there, and what needs to be maintained and cultivated and sustained. So these are the four right efforts. The first right effort is to prevent. And to prevent, in brief, the five hindrances. Greed, hostility, agitation, sloth, and doubt. By the way, so the first two of those if you remember the summary of the whole teaching of the Buddha is greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed, hatred, and delusion is the problem. Generosity, kindness, and clarity is the solution. So the opposite of that. So when, you re- when you're remembering these five hindrances, the first two are the really important ones, the heavy ones. And it, notice it's in the same order. It's greed and hostility. And it's... This is, this, this is the memory device that these things tend to fall in these orders. So these five hindrances need to be prevented. Stop trouble before it starts is the best advice. He's, he's trying to give you good advice like, okay, son, <laughs> here's, the be- here's the advice for, for dealing with things. Stop it before it starts. Once it gets started... It's hard to get, get out of it. Once you start, once you get the anger going, once you start investing in that critical mind, the anger, the resentment, 
the revenge, it's hard to stop it. And it'll distort all of your thinking. So you're really better off first thing you get up in the morning, say, okay, I have to deal with things, difficult people, difficult situations, all kinds of things in the world. And it won't help me to fall into anger. It's going to distort how I do things. It's going to burn up my emotional structures. It's going to damage my happiness. So I need to approach things in a different way. And I need to remember that first thing in the morning. Because if I can just start that way with that determination, it, quite often it won't come up. But if I don't, if I just blunder out into the world, dash out the door, half a cup of coffee, I'm like, like to just fall into it. So it's prevention ahead of time, a thoughtful prevention. And it doesn't take that much time. I mean, there's a lot of advice to meditate in the morning. But not everybody has time for that. And so because they don't have a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour, they don't do anything. But really, even five minutes of like, okay, let's just sit down for a second here. doesn't even have to be, you know, in meditation. Just, what's the, what's the advice again? <laughs> right, I'm not going to get mad, no matter what. Because there are other ways to deal with things. There's other intelligent ways to deal with things than getting angry. So I just need to, that only took a minute. So I'm establishing myself, what is it I don't, that I shouldn't do, that, that tangles me? And I don't have to sit there for 45 minutes to know this. It's just a prevention device. So these are the four right efforts and the right effort in, in the, the Eightfold Path as well. The next one is what if, if they come up, what do I do? Well, you remove them. So in a very systematic way and you have techniques for removing them. The easiest one is that they don't come up because you've decided, okay, t today I have no anger. It's just not going to happen. doesn't matter what. No anger. And about that greed thing, too, I keep thinking, what if I could just win the lottery? Then what do I do? What am I going to do with all that money? Stop that. <laughs> it's not as bad as anger, but it's, it also creates a sense of loss by, by wanting is to create loss. To, to want is to, is to lack. So the moment you want something, you lack it. You just, you just went into debt. You just created lack in yourself. And of course, you know, the second before you thought of it, you weren't lacking it at all. It's only when you think of it that you suddenly feel that you lack something. So when you forget to want things, you also don't lack things. It is in the mind. It's all about the mind. So these are techniques and strategies for this prevention and removal. And, of course, you've got to have fluency with the five hindrances, what they are. So I talked about greed and hatred, so 
and a hatred is a strong word, but it's anywhere. It's just irritability, uh, aversion. You just don't like, you know, it's just a little bit, you know, all the way to extreme. These things have a, a huge, you know, a huge, the, the, the needle swings from mild to extreme. And you, gotta, you have to have concern for all of the spectrum of it. The next two are agitation and sloth. And notice that, remember the five faculties? Uh, what was the, the second one was energy. So that's the opposite of sloth. And the concentration one was, what's his problem? Sloth. What's energy's problem? Agitation. So when it goes off the track, it goes into agitation. So this is bi the bipolar, this is manic depressive thing, which is the exaggerated form of it, where everybody has it to some degree. You're, you're up sometimes, you're down, you're, you're inflated, and then you're depressed and heavy and light. And it, you can see in the human personality structures that it can go immensely off the track in, in both directions. Very, very important. But the, it take, those take a third and fourth place after greed and, and hostility. The two dominant and most problematic are the first two hindrances, greed and hatred. The second ones are the much more you know, part of human nature to some degree. And, but you can stabilize these things. You, can, you actually work with these things. So you start to notice that your energies are down and that you have to, then you have to infuse yourself with energy. And that has to be done by, first of all, recognizing the, the stagnation or the low energy, and then having some strategies to pull it, pull it up. And there are themes that you can use that produce energy. And, there, and you see this in different traditions. One of them is, how long is my life, you know? When does it end? And the Buddha is encouraging you to not to think, well, when I'm 90, of course. <laughs> Good health till then, right? <laughs> and then I die in my sleep. No, it's not like that. Any time is what it is. You know, this, uh, it's not just another dull day. This could be the last. And how do you want to spend it? Could be the last hour. How do you want to spend it? This is the kind of recollection that you can have in order to pull yourself out of this dullness, stagnation. And of course, you see it in real life. You can be all very tired and sleepy and then gunshot goes off in the next door <laughs> or in the mall these days. <laughs> You'll see how you're a sleepy clerk at the pet food store wondering how long this afternoon is going to t take, you know, and then s somebody walks in with a gun. You will be amazed how awake you are how energized you are, because it's your life. You suddenly have a recollection that life is precarious, 
there's no guarantees. And it brings the vitality and the importance of every moment of your life. And so you have to use that. You have to recall that. You can't just uh, forget that it's a precarious business to be alive as a human. There's other ways to arise energy too. And one is uh, the thought of friends, loving kindness, beautiful moments in your life when you've, what, I mean, what are the best moments? Aside from escaping from a rampaging shooter in a mall, what are the other best moments of your life? Well, human relationships, maybe relationships with pets, and uh, maybe some creation, you know, creativity things, art, music, some experiences in nature. These are things to be brought to mind as well, to restore, to bring you out of that, that fog. And that's, some people have to do that. They become stagnant and they think, okay, I gotta sell this house and hit the road. <laughs> I need to live. And the best memories I have are, are encounters with people and animals and nature and art and music and uh, philosophy and religion and meditation and things like that. So these are ways to deal with that, and that's right effort. Now, so you're not always battling with these negative things, the prevention and removal, but there are two that are positive. So when positive things, when you're feeling energized, joyful, you don't just look at it as, oh, Anicca, this will pass. No, that's actually, the Buddha says, yes, all things must pass, but your obligation actually is to sustain that to maintain that, and if it's not there, to bring it into existence. So you use your own mind to bring up these positive states, and then you see how long you can keep it going. You know, you're not walking around indifferently watching emotions rise and pass away. That is wrong advice. The Buddha never advised that. He advised that you learn to develop and maintain positive emotional states and mental activities, and that you learn how to uh, conduct yourself in society in a virtuous and upright way. And these are not, it's not just indifferent, it's not all just anicca, it's that there are positive things which need to be cultivated and maintained and deepened. So this is the other the next stage after the bringing them into existence, if they're not there, you maintain them. And ones that have not come into existence, you deliberately seek them out and try to bring them into existence. And later on in the retreat, because you have a week, you know, it's a time that you might get some very profound stillness. We will bring that into existence. That's something, if it's not there, we'll bring it in. But first we have to develop energy, otherwise, attempts to go into the deeper, more 
really supernormal serenity will fail because you didn't put you didn't uh, do the preliminaries of raising energy and joy and so forth. But you're you're going to you you know maybe the third fourth day fourth fifth day sixth day you're going to uh, aspire to say bring something into existence which is not uh, you might not have had it even in in your life you might not have had a real deep still meditation but it's something that wonder if I can bring that in because it's a very positive it's one of the positives one actually one of the seven factors of awakening so those are the opposing so the first uh, two of the right efforts is to prevent the five hindrances, prevent and remove the five hindrances. The second two are to cultivate, bring into existence the seven factors of enlightenment. So you see how we're stitching all these things together. We have the eightfold path and the four right efforts and the seven factors of enlightenment. We're already into 15 here. Yes. And it's about time to end this talk. This is just the intro talk. And we will continue with the 37 requisites. What's the telephone number? 875-5444. Buddha speaking. Okay.